Welcome to We Are Everyone, a video and podcast series powered by Pivotal Moments, and we focus on the intersection of mental wellness in the workforce. We bring together young professionals and mindful executive mentors to bridge the generational gap and bring to the surface conversations about the importance of mental wellness and how to overcome career tradition challenges. Mental wellness is paramount. Join us. Welcome to We Are Everyone and Slash Mental Recess, since we are changing our name. I am very excited to have a special guest today, also DMV-based. I guess you'd say, I always like to, I'm not sure if we want to put all of the letters after your name, but, you know, we can always say licensed professional. That's the most important part. Um, But uh, we have Mickey uh, Nishida Gert. Uh, and we're going to be talking about today the beauty of self-awareness. So, Mickey, I always like to start by having um, our guests kind of give a little bit of background on themselves and kind of, you know, what, and what you do and what you love. Yes, thanks for having me here at the show, first of all. Thanks for, thanks for being here. Yeah, nice to be found by you. Yeah, right. Google. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I'm Miki Nishidagur, and I'm identified as East Asian, Japanese immigrant, and I'm a licensed social worker, and a board certified art therapist, and an artist. So there's lots of many like different identities here. Yeah, and I have a private practice in Falls Church, Virginia, right outside of Washington D.C. And in my practice, I see primarily clients who are people of color and older adults. Um, I'm also an adjunct faculty professor in George Washington University's um, art therapy department uh, for the past two semesters now. And then before that, I was teaching as an adjunct professor at George Mason University in social work department. Awesome. Awesome. So art therapy, I just find that I love the fact that that is, again, I am not someone who studied, I took my throes of psychology in high school and college and all that jazz, but not as familiar with the different types of branches or departments or I guess studies within that. So I love to see that art therapy has become so pronounced. Um, yes. I, can see I love art. It's something that makes, I surround myself every day by it to make me happy. And I just think the practice of um, these creative different, like these just creative different parts of your brain can activate, you know, those um, positive, positive thoughts and all that jazz. So I guess, you know, you definitely have, um, you, I guess, swimmer, you, you touch on to a lot of points, right? Um, mm. And probably put on a variety of different hats on throughout, throughout your days, um, throughout your days. So I'm just kind of curious, like, how did you discover your love um, of art and therapy? And then did one lead to another in regards to um, everything else that you do from clinical social work and, you know, to teaching and all of that jazz? Yeah. So let's start with art, maybe. And art has been my mode of expression from when I was like very little, elementary school and on. And then when I became 16, I found oil painting as like the thing. So then I've been painting ever since then. I also do printmaking and mixed media art right now. But um, so that's kind of like where art um, has been, right, with me. So that's like a consistent thing throughout my life. Now, then when I was in high school, 
my mom, um, when I was still living in Japan, um, brought me this uh, newsletter, uh, newspaper article about this art therapist in Japan providing um, art therapy sessions to older adults in a nursing home. And I was like, this is exactly what I want to do with my life. Right. And then like I was already thinking about wanting to work with older adults. I just didn't know how to combine art and that part of me. Right. And then I started looking and see, so where, like, how do I become art therapist? Where can I go? And then um, I found out coming to the U.S. is one of the ways. So that's how art and art therapy were, like how art therapy came into my life in that way. And then also related to this. So in undergrad, I studied art and psychology as double measure. And then I move on to get my master's degree in social work, along with the graduate level certification in art therapy. But throughout this, like around when I was 16, my father passed away suddenly um, because of brain aneurysm. And my family went through hell, <laughs> as you can imagine. Lots of grief. And then there was uh, my sisters. Um, I have two sisters, um, older and younger, back home. Three of us are all teenagers when this happened. And there is this mother of mine who is widowed, and, and it's just like it was a lot of a very traumatic experience. And this experience and how I needed to um, maneuver with the grief and live with the grief, art became such a place to support me, help me understand what it is that I'm experiencing. So all of that is just coming together, art and the psychology and all of that through my formal education and the lived experience. You know, it's interesting when I talk to people who are either um, licensed professionals, counseling, uh, therapy, uh, psychology, you know, there, I know there's a lot of different degrees or certifications within, you know, psychology mm. in general. Um, but it, my, one of my friends, he actually lost his father uh, young as well. And I think when you have childhood trauma, um, you learn of how to become, I guess, more like emotionally mature uh, at a younger um, at a younger age. So he actually became, went on to become a therapist as well. And mm -hmm. um, I think you know that was that was really huge in how he's been able to you know just kind of go about his practice and and his ways. So I think that's you know. It, it's not, and I'm so sorry about your loss, but it's so interesting how that has shaped who you are, to who you are today. Yeah, I think something like this, these kind of experiences give people what it's like to feel pain. Yep. Right, and to me, like, I think about this a lot as well when I'm teaching. To me, that is a fundamental part of being a therapist. Are you as a therapist being able to understand the other people's pain yep. in a real sense, right? Um, without that ability, where are you going with that, you know, therapy sessions? Yep. And, and I think having the um, ability with empathy, so having the empathy or, you know, my friend Joe, who's a licensed professional, always talks about empathy versus compassion because mm -hmm. compassion and empathy are two things where you, you also have to hold space for your, for your client or patient, but at the same time, like you have to also hold your boundary. So what is that, you know, what is that uh, balance between empathy and compassion there? And also, you know, holding your own space so you can leave her that, so you can A, provide the best, um, the best resource and advice or what have you, but also be able to leave the conversation and go about your day as well. Right, right. And that's how the self-awareness comes in, right? <laughs> 
self-awareness because self-awareness is definitely something to me that I and one of those people who crave like self-exploration, you know, I'm about to hit 30 years old and I'm like obsessed with like growth, right? Like self-growth, that journey and all that jazz. But at the same time, like it takes perspective to have self-awareness. And I think like there's so much beauty in it, but it's just a, it's also like the balance of what is also too much self-awareness, right? So tell me a little bit about your perspective and insight around self-awareness. So let me preface this by maybe like explaining a little bit about how I think of therapy. Mm-hmm. Maybe yeah. you know, like sometimes, like like how therapy as history when it started, it was the Freud psychoanalytic, like long term therapy, sometimes lifetime, right? I don't really see our uh, the therapy sessions that way. And I don't think many therapists today see it that way neither. But how I particularly see therapy is it's like you come in because there's a need to learn something. And then you graduate from therapy too, much like you go to school and take course and then you learn something or you gain something and you leave, right? So for me, therapy is kind of similar to that. And then, so what it is that then that we are actually getting from coming into therapy sessions and that's that self-awareness. So it's really that the goal that the, the you are coming in to find through therapy sessions. And most of the time, what happens or like how this comes out is usually when clients come in, there's a problem or challenge, there's an issue. And then there's a reaction to the issue, right? And so then some reaction is in the form of emotion. Other times it's a form of thought. So emotion could be, I'm feeling really sad about things or I'm just feeling depressed. That's emotions. Then sometimes the thought, like, I feel like I'm being a failure, for example. I don't feel worthy, let's say. And I start cultivating self-awareness from dissecting or really kind of understanding emotions or those thoughts that's popping up. So if it's thought that the weird, uh, if the client is bringing in, then first thing that I may ask is, how did you learn to think that way? Who taught you that? Or what environment taught you that? Or what place, right? Because there's a history and the way that, the, that you actually lived your life that led to that thinking pattern. And if it's emotions, then sometimes like it's hard to know exactly what that looks like or what it is, then I'll be using art making. Can you actually make images of what sadness looks like? Can we look at that together? What does it say about, what is it trying to tell you? What's the function of this emotion? Dissect, dissect, dissect. And it's interesting because it's like you, you know, I also spoke to someone who said, you don't have to wake up and be happy every day. You know, like emotions ebb and flow, right? But I think the self-awareness that you're talking about and you're and 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 using therapy is, you know, for example, the um, artist behind me, he's DC local, uh, Alex, he sees circles in his head constantly. So that's why he creates circles. He has to do that. And I think, yeah, well, uh, I'm butchering the name. So please bear with me. I think it's yeah, famous. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. I, she, I know, was seeing the um, art as well. Like, I know that that was a way for her to process what was going on up, up in her brain, and it turned out to be beautiful. Um, and I just, I think to that point of being able to name those feelings 
and, and, and pinpoint where they're coming from and then being able to process them and do something and know that that feeling might come back, for example, grief, you know, talking about, you know, where it, it could be a while since your, uh, since your father passed away, but saying that, talking about, it, you probably get a, you know, a, a, some feeling of sadness and you can identify with that sadness. But I think the self-awareness is the biggest way for us, I think, and all of us to move through society. And I love when our lives, and I just love your approach to that because at the end of the day, I think for all, for a human being to function and be, you know, have it in a function in a healthy manner, that being able to identify what those feelings are and speak to them, it could be your own way of processing is just so important. Yes, yes. It's like when something is not really, when, when your vision is clouded and you're not really like understanding what you're seeing, there is just like a, a discomfort that arises in your body, right? Yeah. So then, with your therapist or you know, with your friend, whoever, right? But if, being able to identify, this is exactly what I'm experiencing. This is exactly how I'm feeling. That moment is very, very important. And it really uh, reduces the sense of uh, distress. It's stress and anxiety. I'm reading um, Attached. I actually was reading Attached before you. Um, oh. Yeah. And I'm kind of just going through, it's like, one of those things? And my mom always tells me, Jen, why do you keep harping on the past all the time? I said, mom, I'm only trying to understand myself. You know, I'm trying to understand feelings. Like once I get, once I understand them, I can move past the past, but I never even, I lived with so many years of suppressing that I didn't actually know what I was feeling. So now I'm feeling all the feelings and I'm trying to understand. And I think, you know, people, like to always think about future moving forward. It's like, you can move forward once you address, in my opinion, right? That's not, I don't like using should or must, but address what is down here in order to really feel that sense of light and not being distressed on a day-to-day basis, which kind of goes into um, also another topic of, you know, you talked about how you work with people from a variety of cultures. And I think, you know, coming into, I like to call, you know, America a melting pot of like, we have so many different cultures here and so many different, you know, ways of communication. And you don't even know sometimes you could be offending someone because of how, again, you were raised, what you were taught and how someone else was raised and taught. So I'm curious, because personally, I, love the Japanese culture. I mean, I love it. I respect it. I just think like there's a lot of lessons that can be kind of marinated around. Uh, and I just, I'm curious kind of how has your identi- identity have in- has influenced your own self-awareness um, and really has a, how has it played to help others um, understand their own sense of self-awareness? Mm, that's an excellent question. Um, Probably the best way to describe my experience was that, well, how I became self-aware once again, right? Self-aware of my Japanese identity and what it means is to go back in time when I first came to this country when I was 18. And so it's like, it's been like um, 25 years or so, right? Um, when I, since I've been here. So when I, before I came here, I was living in Japan, right outside of Tokyo, being a Japanese person, surrounded by Japanese people, Japanese culture, whatever, right? And so Japanese identity to me and Jap- the Japanese 
itself is like the air. You breathe it. But something about the air, right? We don't see it. You know it's there, but you don't really pay attention to that. So it was kind of like that for me. And then I landed in Iowa, middle of nowhere, Midwest, super countryside. The closest Walmart is like 30 minutes walk, that type of place, right? For my undergrad education, Jen. Yeah. <laughs> Complete different spectrums of everything. <laughs> oh my gosh. I like, oh, I have never been to a place like that in my life. I didn't know that kind of place existed. And I met lovely, lovely people who became my lifetime friends and family. And at the same time, that was a time that, that I painfully uh, remember some of the moments because I live in the predominantly white community, right? And Japanese identity from that environment was really about, um, well, I experienced it as something negative, something strange, something weird, something to um, feel ashamed of sometimes or something to be obsessed by certain people. And so there's just a lot of, you know, like uh, quite a bit of microaggressions. And as a matter of fact, it's interesting that you and I are talking here because speaking in public has been such a thing for me because that past experience of being ridiculed, made fun of, being talked loud at when my accent was much stronger and people couldn't understand me comes back when I think about talking in front of people. Obviously, I've been teaching too, right? So. And and also not to interrupt, but also, I mean, that's a whole thing where you've kind of done it all. I mean, while maybe not necessarily like, you know, giving the speeches of a TEDx talk, but it, which you should, but at the same time, like even giving, you know, it, being, a, being a, a licensed professional, like a licensed therapist. I mean, in those intimate conversations too, I mean, you've really kind of, you've done it all. So I mean, it's like, uh, it's interesting. Well, I had to. Yeah. I had to. And this is a result of myself focusing on assimilating myself for the first 10 years of my life in this country, which comes from that the Japanese identity being seen as negative and experiencing racism and microaggression, right? I had to pick this strategy, surviving strategy called assimilation. Mm-hmm. And I did that for quite some time, first 10 years. And then at some point, I'm coming out of it thinking, like, what happened to my Japanese identity? And how can I show up to the therapy sessions in front of my clients as the whole person, not just this, like, a, but white therapy, you know, like the white therapist in Asian skin, let me just put it that way. Because that's how sometimes school trains you, right? They don't, there isn't a lot of alternative perspective when I'm in school. So if you are not being careful or being mindful, then really then what you come out of as a graduate, you know, a graduate of those program could be that, that you are really Eurocentric therapist. And I'm going to admit that, 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 that I was that person when I graduated then. And so Last, like the second half of my stay in this country is really about unlearning that process as well as reclaiming my Japanese identity. And I'm still walking it, walking back the path, so to speak. 
Thank you for tuning into another episode of We Are Everyone. You can subscribe to We Are Everyone on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, and also be sure to visit www.pivotalmoments.org to learn more about the organization. And we also want to hear what mental wellness means to you. So you can follow us on social media, submit your video, and uh, we will catch you next time. Thank you so much.